One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from thirty dollars. You got washable silk tops, really stunning fourteen karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we're not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We do. And if you would like to catch up on which serums we like, you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com. Four links to everything we mention on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Forever35Pod and on Instagram at Forever35Podcast. And of course, you can join the Forever35 Facebook group where the password to join is Serums. Indeed. And do remember to sign up for our newsletter at Forever35Podcast.com slash newsletter. And if you want to reach us, you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we always appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel like uh, popping in there and tapping those stars. Yeah. And, you know, I think Spotify now has reviews or ratings as well. I have not I have not investigated this deeply, but I I heard that they were going to be starting those. So I mean, feel free to give us five stars wherever you want. You over on Poshmark and you see us on Poshmark. We'll take those five stars. Yelp. 
Yelp. Give us a Yelp review. <laughs> Google reviews. Maybe yeah. like a report card. Yep. We'll take a report card. I would love a report um, card. Actually, I wouldn't. That triggers no, a lot of painful like, memories yeah, from the past. Say, yeah. Really Don't give me a report one. card. <laughs> no SAT scores. Don't give me any of that stuff. Well, you know, Dory, you... Yes. <clears throat> you were... You were laughing at my previous mention of muesli before we started the podcast. But I do have to give a shout out to muesli because that has become a breakfast staple of mine as I've, you know, shifted some of the things I'm eating to lower my Mm. cholesterol. And like, muesli is really great. Mm. And it's not easy to always come by some good muesli here in the United States of America. I feel like we aren't really like muesli enthusiasts here. But Bob's Red Mill makes an excellent muesli. I just want to keep saying muesli. It's such a great word. Mm. Yep. It's got oats, almonds, walnuts, and I eat it with a, some banana and some almond milk, a little bit of honey, mm, 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 maybe some frozen so blueberries. Good. So good. I put some flax great. and some chia seeds in there, Dory, and I am good to go. Wow. Yeah. Muesli. Who knew? I mean, I think a lot of people, but... (laughs) (laughs) Millions and millions of people. Millions of people, yeah. But but I didn't. But I didn't. You did not, yeah. Nope. I hadn't really uh, embraced muesli until... No. Until like a month ago. It's so exciting. Mm, 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 mm. Well, listen. How are you? You know, Kate, I am pretty good. Um, I'm going away this weekend. I like this for you. Thank you to the desert. And in honor of that, I got some new caftans. <laughs> Dory's always looking for an excuse to get some new caftans. I mean, look, I'm not going to deny that. But, you know, I had had some caftans in the past that like... They were fine, but not great. And I ended up Mm. getting rid of them. So I was actually in the market for some new caftans anyway. And this was a great excuse to get some new caftans. So my preferred uh, caftan purchasing (laughs) locale is Etsy. There's a ton of great caftans on Etsy that are generally much cheaper than buying one from, you know, I don't know. There's like a lot of expensive caftans out there. There's a lot of like bougie caftans, let's say, especially here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And like, I mean, I I just, I just didn't want to spend that much. So I went, went to good old Etsy Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I got some caftans from a shop called print a block and okay, I'm gonna just tootaloo it over here. Ooh, these are pretty. They're really pretty. I was a little hesitant because their caftans have a, a an adjustable waist tie, and at first I was like, "Ooh, I don't know." Like, I like a just loose, flowy caftan. Do I really need like a waist tie? And then I got them, and I was like, "Oh, these are great." And you need that waist tie. The waist tie is actually really nice and they're really flattering and just feel so comfortable. They're so light and airy. Um, 
I did a little experiment where I hand I got three. Okay. I hand washed two of them. Okay. And I put the third one in the washing machine on a like a gentle cycle. No dryer. And I hang dried all of them. And I did not see a discernible difference between the hand washed versus the machine washed caftans. The machine washed caftan did not bleed or shrink. You know, because I, I washed it on like cold and delicate. Of course, of course. Okay. So <clears throat> I think that is going to be my method of washing. the The shop owner said you can you can wash them in the machine on a gentle cycle, even though like they advise hand washing. But they said by all means, do like never put it in the dryer. Um, but you know, obviously, machine washing is a lot more convenient than hand washing in my bathroom sink. So that's just a little hot tip. Um, yeah. So if you're in the market for a caftan. I highly recommend the other. I, I did order a couple other captains from a different shop. They have not yet arrived. They're supposed to arrive today, but I think I will probably be gone before they arrive. But, you know, I have I have three. So I, I think I'm set. Dory, we should also mention that Etsy just happens to be a sponsor right now on the pod. So we have oh, a yes, yes, code yes. that people can use. It's welcome 10 and you can use it at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. It says maximum offer value of $50. And this offer ends March 31st. So get those caftans in now. Yes. Thank you for reminding us all of this offer. Um, uh, yeah. If you know, again, if you're looking for a caftan, I recommend these. Um, Listen, can Kate, I just say like, if we ever do a Forever 35 retreat gathering, may we all be in caftans. Yeah, like if we did that, we would have to have a gift bag that contained a caftan. It would just be like a caftan, an eye mask for sleeping, some earplugs, and like a face ice roller. Totally. And then some muesli and like a little plastic baggie. That yes. I, I bagged myself yes, for everybody. Yes, yes, Oh, I'm sorry. So I interrupted you. You were about to kindly ask me about myself, I believe. Um, well, I was going to say you probably could have used a caftan yesterday. Okay. I, well, that was going to be my segue. (laughs) That was a great segue. I'm proud of you. you. (laughs) It's so, it's very cold here. And I know LOL, it's cold for Los Angeles, but it's in the like forties during the day. So I don't think I'm caftanning right now. Maybe it gets into the fifties a little bit, but. I could have caftaned inside my house. Yeah. You know what was weird yesterday? I just, I I had to like box up a bunch of packages to send back and Mm. I did it in front of the TV and I had like a chunk of my day open and I had the news on and yesterday was the day that Russia invaded Ukraine and I had been watching the news all morning and obviously was you know, feeling a lot of very heavy sorrow that I know most of us are feeling. And I was like, you know what? I need to set a boundary here. Like if watching CNN for three hours is not going to inform me further, I'm going to put something else on that's a little lighter. And I put on Mm -hmm. Love is Blind, the second season. I started the Mm -hmm. VH1, not VH1, uh, Netflix's, um, dating reality show where people date without seeing each other 
Mm-hmm. And then because it's a reality show, they have to propose and get mm-hmm. engaged about seeing each other. And then they'd mm-hmm. see if they're going to make it work. And I just, it was, I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch this like in the middle of the day here on the Thursday, like while I'm packing these packages. But then I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'll just keep watching. And it just felt like such an indulgence. And, and as it was happening, I was like, do I ever let myself relax? And then I started to get kind of sad because the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, I should be doing something. I should be doing, you know, like I should be also doing this while I do this, or I should, you know, this feeling of like, I can't just sit and watch this TV show for an hour. Mm-hmm. And, it, and and while it was very nice to do that and let myself do that, I actually started to feel kind of like depressed because mm. I work constantly mm-hmm. and I put a lot of pressure on myself. And also this is, you know, there's a lot going on right now with my book coming out, but I was just like, do I ever just like lounge at home? Like I'll rest Mm. if I'm on a vacation, you know, I'll like sit and read for a long period of time, but it's like, I rarely just relax yeah, without there being, without multitasking while I'm doing it, or there being some sort of ulterior motive or... I don't know. And that just made me really bummed. (laughs) Like, I'm just a cog in the capitalist machine. I don't know. I just was like, Jesus, it feels like it feels so Mm -hmm. indulgent to sit here at one o'clock in the afternoon and watch an hour of a reality show. Mm. Then the whole time I was like, I should be working. I should be doing something else. I should be doing all the things on my to-do list. And I was like, I'm just going to fuck it. I just want to see these two random strangers meet for the first time. So I don't know, Dory, do you have thoughts on this? Like I, I really felt like, ugh, you know, I felt, yeah. I felt uggish about this rather than like, woo, I love it. I love relaxing. I felt bad that I'm not, I don't do this more and that there's, that's a sign of some larger problem. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes a lot of unlearning um, because we have been so indoctrinated by the cult of productivity Mm. which of course is, you know, capitalism. Mm -hmm. I have, my shifting is really my my shifting. My thinking has really, my thinking has really been shifted by the nap ministry Instagram account. I I enjoy following them as well. Yes. Um, so I don't know, maybe just like go read through their account again. Like I, (laughs) I find that they're like very, good at making me realize the systems that we're kind of working within. I mean, do I need to read my year of rest and relaxation? Have you read it? No. Oh, it's not. I mean, (laughs) it's not about resting and relaxing. (laughs) I mean, it is, but I, I really like that book, but I don't think it's, it's, it's going to um, provide mm-hmm. what you're looking for. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, I think that this is something that a, that a lot of people struggle with. I know I struggle with it and it's hard. I mean, and I think we, I think something that I've also struggled with is acknowledging that different people have different ways of relaxing mm. and turning their brains off. And like what is right for me might not be right for like my husband. You know what I mean? Oh yes. That's a very, very good point. So 
that's been a journey. And then also figuring out what does make me feel relaxed. What does make you feel relaxed? Like, what's I mean, the, what's your answer? Honestly, I've been, I've just been watching Vera every night. What's Vera? <laughs> Am I Vera? stupid? What's Vera? <laughs> no, you're not stupid. Um, it is a British crime show about a old, old lady detective named Vera. <laughs> You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, Dory just said that what uh, what relaxes her won't relax everybody. And I'm trying to remind that of myself and not make like a crack about how you love old lady British things, mystery things. This sounds but perfect like, for you. Yeah, it's perfect for me. I, I watch it. Sometimes I play a game on my phone as I watch. Vera TV show. I've never heard of this. Is it? It's is on it BritBox. It's not what new. It's in its, it's in its box? 11th season. <laughs> BritBox is a service, a streaming service that you can pay. I don't. I think it's five ninety nine a month, um, and you get access to a lot of British television shows. Gotcha, There's also one gotcha. called Acorn, Acorn TV, that has a lot of other shows too. I um, I pay for the Viki app, which is a lot of, which is how I watch a lot of Korean dramas. So I get yeah, it. So same idea. Um, but what's what's also nice about Vera is. As with a lot of British dramas, each episode is 90 minutes long. It's like watching a movie. <laughs> but you know it's going to follow this like very comforting pattern. Just like and my you, alien books. It's yes, like, and you yeah. know that Vera is going to figure it out in the end. She's going to have that light bulb. She's going to have that light bulb moment. You know? Great. Now, they... They, the the TV show is based on a series of books, obviously. Okay. Have you read the books? So I try, I, I did, I was like, you know what? I'm going to read the book. So I read the first one and I didn't love it. Mm. It was very, very long and kind of convoluted. And then I realized that in the opening credits, the credits say based on the character's like invented by the author. So it's really not like following the plots or anything of the books. Like they literally just took, and it's literally just Vera. Like, and and I think maybe the forensic pathologists are in the books. Everyone else is different. (laughs) So like they really just paid for (laughs) Vera. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's probably Um, for the best. It sounds like they've done a, a job that is more to your liking in terms of creating a show that. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people, I'm sure there are people out there who love the books and I don't want to, you know, right. Diminish that purist. Right. But for me, I like, it was not, it was not, they were not for me. Um, but the show is for me. (laughs) I love that Dory. What a great recommendation. We haven't talked about this show. Is this like a new thing? Yeah. Wait, really? We haven't talked about this. No, I know that I have a foggy memory, but I feel like I would remember a show called Vera about a British lady detective that you watch on a paid app. I feel like that's too much doriness that I would forget it. You know, maybe we've mentioned it on Excellent Adventure, actually. That might be it. Um, But okay, then I, you know, then Vera. 
I recommend it. <laughs> well, and I recommend season two of Love is Blind. And that, once again, shows how different we are and what we like to do to relax. Hey, I watched season one of Love is Blind. Are you going to watch season two? It's like I don't even know. more bonkers. I found I found season one to just be like so annoying. That mm-hmm. It's <laughs> like, pretty cringy. It's so cringy that like I don't find it relaxing. You know? I, that's how I feel about a lot of reality shows. I get, I get that. I get that. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to watch it. And it's yeah, it sounds like this one is even more like off the rails than season one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think this also points to something that we've talked about a bunch, which is like the, um, which is TV is self care. Oh God, yeah. You know, but even like with that, I had such a hard time in the middle of a work day when my kids were at school when I was like, mm. I have stuff I quote should be doing. Like now is not the time where I should be sitting here relaxing, watching the show. I do that from nine. You know, I I have an hour allotted that I can kind of do that right. at night. And I was like, I don't know. What if I did just it just it just felt it was just really I, I have a lot of like deprogramming to do. Yeah. And then I felt guilty. I mean, it was, it was weird. I ended up just feeling sad, (laughs) like sad for myself that I couldn't just fucking relax. Well, you know, it's funny. I feel like, and I, I definitely do this. Um, but I, sometimes I see people like, see people be like, I, you know, I'm going to take a vacation day and, and I'm going to like pack all these things into it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to take a, I'm going to go for a hike and I'm going to get a massage and I'm going to meet a friend for lunch and I'm going to like, and I think that that is also a function of the fact that like we don't have enough free time. Yeah. And so, you know, we feel like we have to pack it all in. And I, I love that there's this movement now towards like the four day work week. Mm-hmm. And just, I do, I think people need more free time. Well, yes. Put that out there. I a hundred percent agree with you. So, mm, well, Shall we transition to talking about our guest for today? Yes. Let us do that. Okay. We had such a great conversation. Dory, I'm going to pass the mic to you because you are our guest's former intern. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that we didn't talk about it in our conversation, but um, our guest today is Megan O'Rourke, and I was her intern in 2006. I just graduated from journalism school. I was 29. I was only like a year or two younger than she was. Um, And, you know, that was, it was, it was interesting being an intern in my late twenties after I'd like already been in the workforce and kind of had to felt like I had to sort of like take a step back in my career to move forward. Um, But Megan was great. I definitely learned a lot from her. This was at Slate and yeah, it was really fun to get to interview her. So, her official bio is that she is the author of the books, The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness, which I should say just came out yesterday. And that is what the bulk of our conversation was focused on. And it's such an amazing book. I We both loved it. And so yeah, um, great. highly that's recommend really it. Good. And she also wrote a book called The Long Goodbye about grief, which, which I should say is one of the first books I read about grief after my mom died because it's about mm. her mom passing away. I didn't mention that in our interview, but her book, I, I, that book was had a 
special place in my life. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, and she has also written the poetry collections Sun in Days, Once and Half-Life. Her writing has appeared in the Atlantic Monthly, The New Yorker, and The New York Times, and more. And she's a former editor at The New Yorker, and she served as culture editor and literary critic for Slate, as well as poetry editor for the Paris Review. The recipient of a Guggenheim Fellowship, a Radcliffe Fellowship, and a Whiting Nonfiction Award, she resides in New Haven, where she teaches at Yale University and is the editor of the Yale Review. Wow. We had a, such an interesting conversation about her experience with chronic illness. Um, I'm really excited for people to listen to it. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back with Megan. Great. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince, because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune, I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn effortlessly chic whether it's winter or or summer they've got premium european linen dresses blouses and shorts from 30 dollars. you got washable silk tops really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry and so much more like truly the list goes on and on and the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish 
on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me me just tell you why. Yeah, get into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? (laughs) No, no, I was just going to say like I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. 
Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. We are so excited today to have Megan O'Rourke with us. Megan, welcome to Forever 35. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be to this. It's such a pleasure to be here on this podcast that I've listened to for so long. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really excited to talk to you about your new book and self-care and chronic illness and all, well, all kinds chronic of illness things. and self-care. <laughs> yes, chronic illness and self-care. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we do usually start by asking our guests um, about a self-care practice that they have. So is there something that you are doing these days regularly that you would consider a self-care practice? Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many, but I've been really busy lately. So I've, I've had to let go of a lot of my self-care. Um, but the thing I've really been holding on to is what um, I didn't know was called forest bathing until recently I read an article about it. But basically we live near Ooh. this woods now because we've, we've moved out of the city to Connecticut for a period of time. So it's the first time in my life that I've been close to nature for an extended period of time. Um, and so I try pretty much after school drop off, I go and walk in the forest and I really try to turn my phone off and just be present. And, you know, it's basically nature. <laughs> there's a road, but there's nature and there's woods and trees and there's a river. So it's actually been really amazing. Um, even in some very stressful moments during the Omicron wave, I was able to go there and just take even a 20 minute walk and I'd come back feeling visibly different, sort of notably different, not maybe visibly different, but physically different. Ooh, I like this. Yeah, that sounds so <laughs> calming. What yeah. What is the, can you describe kind of the sensation of walking through the forest and what you kind of get out of it emotionally and mentally? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that I'm usually going there after this mad rush of trying to get our children dressed and out the door when they don't want to do that. And for some reason, <laughs> temperamentally, my flaw in my life is that like, I also feel that in that time, I should have accomplished like answering 20 emails, which is just stupid and counterproductive, right? But it's this kind of stressed morning that I, I don't seem to be able to just let go of the, I think there's this, you know, holdover from my pre- my life before being a mom where I just, I like getting up and starting my day by getting some stuff done with my own. So I'm always mm. sort of battling that desire. And I really actually try not to anymore, but it's like, so there's this push pull for about an hour and a half, which I don't know why it's so hard every morning, but it is. So I usually enter the woods in a state of sort of frenetic <clears throat> hyper futility <laughs> where yes. I'm, my heart is racing. My cortisol is high. And I'm like, I've got 30 emails mm -hmm. to answer in the next 20 minutes. And kind of, I just turn my phone off or sometimes I listen to some music I really like, but I silence notifications. And really within three minutes, I walk on this road. It's by a river. It's very kind of bleak and bare right now. We're February in New England, but the river is always full of kind of lovely reflections. There's a, a not a mountain, but a big, it's like a mini mountain behind us. And 
yeah, you just, it's like all the cortisol sort of subsides and my heart rate stabilizes and I start noticing the water and the sticks and I start having Mm. thoughts that are not about 25 emails and that are memories maybe of childhood or just, I don't know, it's just this state of real, it really does happen. Calm kind of comes over me and it's like amazing perspective enters. And I think it's really not that bad. I can answer the emails later Mm. and it's all going to be okay. But I don't know what it is. It turns me from a state of vigilance into a state of calm. Um, And, you know, there's, it's not like the prettiest time of year, but there are times of year where it's really gorgeous, where, you know, the birds are emerging and the little green leaves are unfurling. And, you know, you're supposed to, part of the point of forest bathing as it as it is termed, is that you're supposed to try to notice little sounds and little tiny details. And it's a kind of meditative process where you're supposed to attune yourself to your environment, which is why putting the phone away is so important. And it it really does work. And it took 15 minutes does a lot. Yeah. And I'm always a little reluctant to emerge. Yeah. I mean, even just listening to you describe it, I was feeling I calmed. <laughs> I, my like blood pressure went down. I was like, yeah. Mm. I was like, yes. mm. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I can FaceTime you all one day for my forest walk and just hold the phone up along the river and you can see the little twigs and it's very sweet. Yeah. 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 A river too, just that kind of the tinkling melody of a river. Yeah, is also yeah. very appealing. That sounds very yes. nice. We don't quite have have that here in Los Angeles. Yeah, no. yeah, it's it's really nice. It really is. If you look too closely, you might see you know a lot of litter. But right. I, try to, <laughs> I try not to look for it. <laughs> well, this well, this reminds me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kate. No, go ahead, Dory. No, I was just going to say this. This kind of dovetails nicely, I think, with some of the um, topics you raise in your book, which is about your experience um, kind of trying to figure out what was wrong with you, um, if, for, for lack of a better word, medically, I should say. Yeah. What was wrong yeah. with you medically? No, well, in other um, ways, too. <laughs> and yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> um, but one thing that you that you discussed that I thought was really interesting was the connection between stress and specifically autoimmune diseases and what you're kind of talking about now really made me think you know this is this is really a way for someone to lower their stress level um and i guess what i'm wondering is if you could talk a little bit about the ways in which stress is a factor in sickness but particularly in autoimmune diseases and how your kind of understanding of this changed your perspective on your own disease? Yeah, such a good question. And one that I wrestled with for a long time. Um, there's a reason that even when my life gets really busy, the the practice I'm holding on to is this one of calming and sort of stress relief, right? Because For a lot of people who have autoimmune diseases or other diseases of immune dysregulation, we often call them immune-mediated diseases or diseases where the immune system itself is Mm -hmm. causing some of the damage, Um, stress is a real factor in ways that we don't fully understand but is real. Um, Which is Mm -hmm. to say there are pretty good studies showing, for example, that 
very serious stressors in childhood, what they call adverse childhood events, predict the risk of hospitalization specifically from an autoimmune disease decades later in your life. The more adverse childhood wow. events you have, the more likely specifically that you get hospitalized with autoimmune disorder. So this is really fascinating, um, disturbing, mysterious connection. Um, the other... yeah. The other thing that a researcher told me early on in my work on this book was that for years, researchers thought that the immune system and the nervous system were entirely distinct. But in fact, um, there mm. have been studies where they like cut the vagus nerve in animals and they, it changes the immune system. So they're realizing that these systems are more intertwined than, than we once thought they were. And I talk about a bunch of kind of fascinating and puzzling studies in the, in the book. Um, one of the other things that I think is really challenging um, for patients with autoimmune disease is that stress can really exacerbate your symptoms. I think my case, I was often finding that I was sickest when I had a really stressful week um, in ways that made me wonder, wait, is this actually psychosomatic, right? Before I really understood or had done this research, I thought, why am I always worse when I'm stressed? Is it just anxiety? Well, no, actually, it's your immune system changing. And one of the things that um, researchers understand is that you know, stress was supposed to be episodic. The example you always hear is like, we were supposed to be happily on the savannah and then the lion would come and we would run and stress would help us <laughs> run fast and, you know, not mm, eat mm -hmm. when we needed to run and all that stuff. But it turns out that, you know, you don't want to always be thinking the lion is around the corner because what it does is it ratchets your immune system kind of up and down. Your immune system actually changes under stress. It gets a little bit... Um, it actually goes a little bit hyperactive and it gets suppressed and becomes hyperactive in different temporalities. And one theory is that, you know, stress was an indicator that you might be about to have like a major wound, <laughs> the line would bite your arm and your body, your mm -hmm. immune system would need to go into action. So over time, if you're constantly experiencing this up and down, some people's bodies just go awry and they kind of just ratchet upward into a sort of possibly overactive state of um, in, immune disorder. And they've found this in some patients with autoimmune diseases that they just don't go back to baseline after a stressor. Yeah. So that's a lot of answers to your question. But the, as you see, there's a lot of ways in which stress impacts yeah. us. Yeah. You address this early on in a, one of the first chapters of your book, but just for our audience um, and just this conversation, could you kind of give an overview on what actually is an autoimmune disease? Because it's something that I know for myself, I hear in conversation, it's like a buzz phrase, but yet I don't think I could articulate exactly what it is. So I found I found yeah. your chapter very helpful on this. Um, yeah. So I think our, it would also help our audience. Yeah, well, no, exactly. So I first was saw a doctor who said, I think you might have an autoimmune disease. And I went home, I was a little too embarrassed to tell her I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I went home and Googled. Um, and that was the beginning of the research that became this book. But what I learned was that all these diseases I had heard of were actually autoimmune diseases. So lupus, multiple mm -hmm. sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of thyroid disease. So an autoimmune disease is when the immune system, which we think of as our own personal defense system, right? Sort of designed to those antibodies and those T cells and B cells we've all heard so much about during the pandemic. You know, in an ideal world, 
they're there to protect you from things like pathogens, like SARS-CoV-2 or a bacteria that infects. And they come, they cluster around that pathogen, and they hopefully get it out of your body. Or in a case of injury, they help tell your body that it needs to send, you know, healing cell, white blood cells, and you start healing, right? But it, and for years, researchers assumed that your immune system would never attack your own body because it fundamentally understood what was self, as they called it, and what was not self. And the whole point of the immune system was to, to attack the not self. As it turns out, they were wrong. And your immune system can attack your own body. And it makes things called autoantibodies. So auto is the word for self, right? Autobiography. So autoantibodies are antibodies that are designed to destroy, but what they're destroying is your own thyroid in the case of thyroid disease or your own kidney, which happens in lupus or your parts of your nervous system and things like multiple sclerosis. So it's a pretty richly metaphorical condition. And we can talk a little more about that, but it's a basic biological fact. And because for so long researchers thought it couldn't happen, we're really behind in our diagnostic tools and in our treatment of autoimmune diseases from where we are with other common diseases. Could you talk a little bit about how COVID kind of fits into the discussion of autoimmune diseases? I I feel like we, you know, and I mean, this is obviously anecdotal because it's personal, but I started hearing so much more about people with autoimmune diseases because it was coming up in the context of vaccines. Um, mm. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. how you've seen COVID-19 either, you know, shift the understanding of autoimmune diseases, raise the awareness of autoimmune diseases. Um, how has that kind of affected how we think about them? Yeah. I think there's a few ways. Um, I think the first thing is that some of the people who are most at risk right now from COVID-19 are people with autoimmune diseases, because these are people who are often on powerful immune suppressing drugs, because that's the way you get your immune system to stop, Mm -hmm. you know, attacking your own body is to just lower the immune system. There's a whole discourse in the kind of autoimmune research community about whether that's how we should be treating those diseases. But right now, those are the medicines we have, like, let's knock down your immune system. So I think in terms of where we are right now in the COVID-19 discourse, where some people are still really concerned and want to wear masks, and some people are like, let's go back to normal. Anyone with an autoimmune disease is like, there is no normal for us right now, right? We're sort of stuck mm, in this yeah. new new place. And how do we do that? And why is there not a more robust conversation around this that kind of honors the fact that we're people too, right? That's one piece. Yeah. Another yeah. piece, and so I think a lot of those people too were worried on early in the were worried early in the pandemic because they were on immune suppressing drugs. Um I wasn't, but I sometimes am. And I talked to my rheumatologist and she was like, we just don't know. We just don't know. We need to keep people on these drugs because their diseases are really serious. But if they get COVID, we rapidly have to take them off and kind of hope for the best. So it's pretty scary, I think, for a lot of autoimmune patients on those drugs. The other thing, which is truly, you know, really is scary, and I don't want to be alarmist, but I think we need to be really clear about this again in our public discourse is that SARS-CoV-2, the virus, seems to trigger an almost unprecedented amount of autoimmune activity in people who get even mild cases of it. 
So a lot of viruses are triggers of autoimmune disease. We now understand this is sort of the the research that my book really is about, which sort of even before the coronavirus pandemic was about this emerging vanguard of researchers who are like viruses really and bacterial infections are really culprits in a lot of these diseases. But among those viruses, Epstein-Barr virus is one of the ones that we know triggers autoimmune disease. And like the emerging evidence about SARS-CoV-2 just like makes Epstein-Barr virus look like this nice friendly virus. It's so, I don't know, it's pretty astonishing even to me. Like I look at it and I'm like, can these numbers be real? So there's a lot we don't know yet. Does that autoimmune activity stay in the body six months out? We don't know. But the researchers I've been talking to are like, we are on the cusp of seeing a wave of autoimmune disease like we haven't even imagined. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like, does that correlate with long COVID, essentially? Is that is, is that kind of what is, – is long COVID a symptom of that or kind of part of that, if that makes any sense? It makes a lot of sense, Kate. And I'm – yeah, it's, it's – yeah, okay. we don't know fully. I think one thing – the way I'm thinking about long COVID right now, based on the researchers I've talked to, is that long COVID may turn out to be an umbrella, a really important umbrella term that captures mm. the range of – dysfunction that the, you know, acute COVID causes, I see a lot of doctors being like, well, long COVID is so vague. And I'm like, well, no, that vagueness is important. It tells us how broad, how expansive the kinds of ongoing symptoms can be. But what we want to get to is an understanding of which patients fall where under that umbrella. And to your point, you know, the researchers I've talked to said they think a good percentage of those patients you know, probably do have incipient autoimmune disease that we can't measure because we have no tools to measure early autoimmune disease in a lot of cases. Some of them have other conditions, microclotting, nervous system disorders, things we haven't even uncovered yet. Yeah. So it's a big murky area that we really need to invest funding and urgency into. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's wild. Wordly, I I appreciate you saying we're just at the tip of the iceberg because it does seem like there's so much we don't know yet, and that's what's especially ner- nerve wracking for me. Yeah, yeah, it is, and right, and it's like we have this appetite culturally to sort of nail things down and say we we know it, we've done yeah. it, we're moving on, and and I think we have to really neither be unduly alarmist, but also be realist about there's just this stuff Mm. we don't know about this virus. And it's not a good virus. I will say one thing, which is quickly, which is the vaccines seem to be helpful in mitigating some of these ongoing effects. They don't eradicate the possibility of long COVID, but they really do seem to be helpful in mitigating some of the autoimmune activity, even if you've got a breakthrough infection. Again, very preliminary research, but another point in favor of vaccines. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It does seem like kind of the the media is just now starting to talk about long COVID um, as another sort of category of people who get COVID. Like, it's not just about were you like, did you die or were you hospitalized? It's like, are you now living with this chronic illness? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been, I think for people with long COVID, it's, it seems like it's been very frustrating based on kind of what I've seen on social media to feel like 
their symptoms have been ignored and, you know, kind of not um, taken seriously, which made me think about the chapter where you write about um, the conversation you had with your friend about why people are like when you tell someone about your chronic illness, why they are so quick to kind of minimize it um, or <clears throat> excuse me, or kind of want to doubt it. Like the immediate reaction mm-hmm. is, is they're faking. And like, you see this so much with Lyme disease as, as you know, as you talk about why, why do people have that instinct, especially when it comes to these kinds of illnesses? Mm. <laughs> I know, right? It's such a big and interesting question. So it did take me a whole book to answer that story. So I'm going to try to give you a couple, I don't know, a couple of things that I thought about, um, because I don't want to keep you and your listeners here all day. And I could keep you here all day. Um, (laughs) But I think the broadest reason, and I think this applies broadly to any chronic illness, is as a philosopher friend of mine said to me, your suffering is burdensome to me. Right. And he didn't mean that in a negative way. He's a philosopher, so he likes to really, you know. But he meant if I actually <laughs> witness, if I actually witness and take in your suffering, it does something to me. It changes me, and that's hard. Right. So I think that's broadly why our illness narratives tend to be these narratives of recovery and overcoming, or alternately, the love story model right. of like the spiritualized death that we can all be ennobled by. We don't really Mm. like to talk about, you know, in America, especially I think with our muscle through it culture, like we don't like to talk about the idea that like you can't overcome some things. You just can't. You just can't. And you have to live with them. And it's a struggle. Um, So I think there's that piece of it. We're sort of culturally trained through popular media, film, People magazine to just want that narrative of like, at least you've learned something from your illness, or you're probably Mm -hmm. maybe anxious. And that brings me to the second thing, which is the legacy of the 19th century epidemic of diagnosing hysteria as the explanation for kind of vague, what were really at the time, vague medical symptoms, the the early women in the 19th century who were diagnosed with hysteria, writers like Charlotte Perkins Gilman and um, I have brain fog and I'm forgetting the other woman's name. Um, oh, Alice James. They had like pelvic pain and fatigue and brain fog, but their illnesses got turned into psychological illnesses by Freud and doctors who came before Freud. So there's a long history there of looking at women's vague, so supposedly vague, right, or hard to measure physical symptoms and turning them into what Freud does, which is symptoms of a repressed truth that the the female speaker won't say, right? In particular, the female speaker, all of us, but in particular women. And so it's this incredible legacy that still, the shadow of this idea is still in medical exam rooms, even if doctors aren't like studying Freud and thinking of themselves as Freudians, we still somehow have this idea that the body speaks truths we can't say. And so when a woman, especially a young woman, and for reasons of misogyny and unconscious bias and all that, young women get it the most, you show up in an exam room and you look healthy and your lab doesn't show anything as it often doesn't early in an immune mediated disease. Often you can't find anything. Um, The speaker is immediately seen as speaking some kind of 
uh, you know, unconscious truth about her psychological state that even she can't reckon with. And the more she insists on its the physical reality, the more she becomes unreliable. So it's it's a kind of mm. trap, I think. So I think that's part of it too. Yeah, your story about the male journalist emailing you <laughs> to suggest that you read the Dr. Sarna book about back pain. And then when you went back and were like, no, they just kept like furthering their <laughs> argument um, oh, yes. was especially infuriating. Um, and, you know, you also talk about how race and class contribute to kind of the, you know, the very troubling lack of support and information and care for autoimmune disease. I mean, one thing that really stood out for me is you note that black women get lupus at a higher rate, but most often studies about lupus exclude black women, um, which was incredibly yeah. upsetting. Um, so how, how has racism, classism contributed um, to what we don't know about autoimmune disease? And do you see any positive change happening on that front? That's a great question. Um, I'll take the first part, which is, you know, I was talking about how the immune system is responsive to things around it, to things like viruses, but it's also responsive to environment, chemical regulation. Um, it turns out the immune system, you know, which is partly received through our mother when we pass through the vaginal canal, perhaps, or, you know, in the case of C-sections, you know, if you're breastfed, you're receiving immune cells from your mother. And there's data that shows like the sort of lack of social support or the presence of social support actually changes immune expression in breast milk. So there's sort of this hmm. backdrop when you really dig into it of, you know, when I, when I first got thick, sick, I thought of my disease as my problem. And the more I read, the more I saw that my disease was in fact not an expression of my own divided self, right? Which is a metaphor we often hear in autoimmune disease that your, your own self is fighting itself. The more I read, the more I realized that the social is what's shaping our immune systems, right? That none of our immune systems are our own. They're highly personalized, but they're shaped by every social encounter we have. And there's really good research by this woman named Arlene Geronimus. You might've heard of it. She has this idea called weathering that she came up with to try to explain why black women often had bad outcomes um, from illnesses and maternal outcomes, worse maternal outcomes. And basically she showed that structural racism affects the health of the body over time. It, it ages it, it makes it sicker. Um, and so that's a really big piece of it that we're not talking about. And, you know, this is really suppositional, but when you look at the fact that, um, COVID-19 unduly was affecting Black and Latinx people, that more people were dying, right? You think there's something like weathering at play here, right? I mean, I know conservatives want to go to the individual, like they're not eating right. And I, that's just so spurious to me and so not helpful. And in fact, it's really probably the case and researchers are probably working on this, that something like weathering is going on and making some people more susceptible to losing that fight with the virus, right? So the same goes for autoimmune disease. And the biggest problem in autoimmune disease among the researchers I talked to is that they were worried that a lot of people, for various reasons, whether it was socioeconomic status, being in rural areas, language barriers, racism, just weren't accessing the care that 
they need. And you read my book. So you saw like how persistent I had to be to get care, right? I had to keep persisting and you need, you need social support to do that. So a lot of people lack that. And often it's people, you know, um, socioeconomic disadvantage or people who've had racist encounters and don't want to go back to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you note the privilege that you have or had and have going into this experience and how hard, and how still how hard it was for you to receive care, to be believed, to not be brushed off. And, um, I, I, that was just incredibly striking. Yeah. Yeah. And even I, you know, I just remember doctors saying, Oh, we're all tired, Megan, you know, <laughs> and sort mm-hmm. of, mm. it's quite heart, mm. it's quite heartbreaking. Um, I think if if you're alone in that way, you're alone with your illness and then you're alone feeling you don't have an ally. Right. Yeah. One thing I thought you did so well in your book was how you explored the kind of alternative treatment world. Um, And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that because I I feel like now, you know, the – the quote unquote wellness world um, has really dovetailed with alternative, the, you know, the world of alternative medicine. And you talk about one doctor who you went to, who, you know, you were like, I knew he was a quack basically as soon as I walked in the door, but like, you still felt like you needed to try what he was offering because you were desperate. And, you know, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and how people who are desperate can sometimes sort of fall victim to these um, doctors, using that term loosely, but also the benefits Mm. of some of the alternative treatments that you uh, pursued. Yeah, this was one of the hardest parts of the story to write, but one of the parts I felt most committed to writing, which was to talk both honestly, and I I hope in a really dimensional way, (laughs) about the fact that at certain points I was so desperate that I did things kind of against my better judgment. But I really object to the way that patients are portrayed. I think it's pretty clear in the book that in the popular media, right, that often patients are portrayed as kind of childish and um, not knowing what's best for them and needing, you know, the the Mm -hmm. paternalistic care, not only of medicine, but of their loved ones. And what I wanted to convey was that the patient, the person who lives with illness, is the person living with illness. And there are times when you get really desperate and you make a risk calculation, right? And in my case, the risk calculation was at the time, I had no life. I, I was suffering. I was really suffering and no one was helping me and no one could really see it. And my conventional doctors were like, your labs look okay. Or, you know, there were things they found and they were helping, But I just got to the point where I thought, this was before I got diagnosed with Lyme disease, I thought, I'll try whatever. So I did this. It's basically what Donald Trump told Americans to do for coronavirus. Like I put ultraviolet light in my blood, (laughs) not bleach, thankfully, Mm. probably wouldn't be here today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I went to this guy, he took blood out, he put ultraviolet light in, he put oxygen, he put it back in. And later at another integrative doctor's practice, I loved this doctor, he was great, super reliable. His nurse was like, yeah, 
that's one I maybe wouldn't do. That that's a risky one. Um, but okay. you know, <laughs> but even and some people swear by it. But like, look, looking back, I'm like, I'm not going to tell you I shouldn't have done it. Like, it was a reasonable decision to yeah. make. It was, I was in right. a, I was in a corner, right? It was, it was, I shouldn't have been in that corner, but that wasn't my fault. That was there was structural, you know, medicine was sort of at fault for putting me in that corner. Mm-hmm. So I try to capture that, so that we don't just think of patients as being purely irrational. But I also try to really make the point that in my case, it was integrative doctors, doctors who have MDs, they're trained in Western medicine, but they also use holistic and alternative practices. And they take what's called like an integrative view of medicine, integrating the best of all practices and seeing the body as a whole, as a whole, which is what conventional medicine really doesn't. It's very siloed, very compartmentalized. And, you know, it was these doctors who I credit with kind of saving me when I was sickest because they, they, um, they just cared. They spent time with me. And what they did that no Western doctor did was that they tried to help my day-to-day life get better. Um, and Western medicine was much more interested in do we have a cure for you or medicine for you? And not very interested in the question of what matters most to you, Megan? Like you're not going to get what you're not going to be totally healthy. So like given that, and we don't really know what's wrong with you. Like what do you want to achieve within some constrictions? Let's try to help you get there. And that's what integrative and alternative medicine really did do. Um, And also it was very caring. Like my acupuncturist was a very lovely, caring person who asked me questions and listened. And there was something really palpable about that. And in fact, I talk about this in the book, like there's just tons of research that shows that when you care for somebody in an appointment, it impacts their health. It impacts their immune system. It impacts their blood sugar levels. It's it's really kind of wild. Like more than like, I think there's a study of irritable, irritable bowel syndrome where they find found that just having a nice practitioner who is warm had more impact on a patient's mm-hmm. health than the most powerful drug we have to control irritable bowel syndrome. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering crappiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. Visible on my (sighs) neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially 
a moisturizer, but it has their mm-hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm-hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. I wanted to ask, um, you know, as Dory mentioned, you you write about how challenging it is to convey to convey to friends and your community the severity of your illness, especially when you were talking about fatigue. And I wanted to know your thoughts on how people with an autoimmune disease can effectively communicate with others what they're experiencing. But more importantly, how can those of us in their circle who don't personally understand the experience, um, be supportive and be good listeners and be um, good allies for them? Yeah, that's such an important question. I mean, the truth is that I think we need a paradigm change where so many people are testifying about these things that it's no longer the burden on any one person to claim the reality of their condition. Mm. And it's more a cultural change has happened that you know, just reifies and makes real this, that we all kind of understand this is real. Um, And that's one reason I wrote the book was that I, you know, a writer couldn't talk to my family in a conversation in a way that made them understand. And it was only when I wrote it down um, in the form of a New Yorker article that my father was like, oh, I just had no idea. But reading this now, I now I have I'm you know five steps closer to to understanding. So I do hope we, you know, that maybe a, a one hope is that the pandemic and the scope of the problems coming out of it are going to shine a light on these mysterious chronic illnesses in ways that are going to change our national conversation. Um, in the meantime, I think the most important thing is not for friends and family members is not to try to solve the problem for the person living with chronic illness, right? Because the whole nature of chronic illness is that it's not solvable. Um, So I think just making yourself really available to listen without trying to reassure um, 
and just listen and reflect back what you're seeing um, and saying, I'm going to drop some, you know, whatever nice thing off for you, like some herbal tea, or I'm going to do that, you know, just little gestures mm-hmm. that I think show the reality of it. Because one of the hardest things when you're chronically ill is that you can have really, really rough periods um, that are bracketed by pretty good periods. And it just goes on and on. So in a way, you just, it, I never felt like I could say to my friends, nor, you know, nor did I want to, hey, I'm in a really rough period, because I just knew there were going to be more and more and more of them, right? There was something kind of anti-dramatic about them yeah. from the outside. So I think when, and I did have friends do this, when people would just show care and be like, I'm really worried. I actually really appreciated it personally when I had friends who just said, I'm really worried. I'm really worried for you. It just mm-hmm. made me feel seen. Um, they didn't try to solve that. They just said, I'm, I'm worried for you right now. Um, and that was helpful to me. It made me feel, okay, this is real. Someone else can detect it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of on the medical front, um, in your chapter on solutions, you talk about what a sort of ideal care scenario for autoimmune diseases and chronic illnesses might look like. And just hoping you could kind of discuss what that would look like and what are the current barriers to getting there? Yeah. So I think one of the major challenges for people with long COVID or autoimmune disease or chronic fatigue syndrome, which we haven't talked about, which is sort of a similar invisible illness, um, often people have overlapping conditions too. One of the problems is that the symptoms can manifest in many different parts of your body. So I had really weird neurological symptoms, but I also had terrible joint problems and endometriosis and fertility problems. Like just everything was affected. So at some point I had like nine doctors and none of them ever talked to each other. Right. And one patient I interviewed was like, it just feels like your doctors are kind of crossing off their organ and saying, okay, it's not my problem. Right. And so it leaves you to be the person sort of coordinating and being like, wait, but I'm still not well. I know you've said my heart is fine, but what, what is wrong? So I think we need, centers that offer coordination of care. Um, And I talk about one in Pennsylvania called the Autoimmunity Institute, which is pretty new, where they're trying to offer this really remarkable coordinated care where the doctor, you see all the doctors, they then talk to each other instantly and try to figure out if there's something they're missing, if how they can help you live. Like that's a big focus of theirs, which often in Western medicine, it's not. So I think these kind of truly coordinated care centers, which are hard, they're expensive. We don't have them currently. So we, we really need to make that pivot somehow. The other thing is that Western medicine needs to, I think, and I do think the Autoimmunity Institute is a good example of and doing this, as is the Center for Post-COVID Care at Mount Sinai, we need to shift from I'm looking for a cure or a drug model to a I'm looking to support you in a dimensional way as you try to live your life model. And part of what's so challenging is that Western medicine operates based on replicability and studies that try to figure out if people's bodies are all working in the same way. But in these diseases, people's bodies are often working in really, really different ways. So one person with lupus could have different symptoms week to week, and her symptoms could be different from another person's symptoms, right? 
And what makes her worse right. might be really different from what makes me worse with my connective tissue disease. So we need to pivot to an, a still evidence-based model that allows for the fact that some evidence is hard to get and has to be based on trust of the patient and the patient's narrative and the patient's testimony. Um, there's not an algorithm in these cases. There's hard work one-on-one in a relationship of trust. It's really hard right now, right? There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of distrust, but somehow we need to pivot to a reparative model of trust and individualized relationships, I think, which, you know, I know that's a tall order, but that's the true need. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Megan, what advice would you give someone who maybe suspects that they have an autoimmune disease or like any illness that is not being diagnosed? Mm. The advice that I wish I'd had when I was in my 20s and kind of going to doctors and saying, I think something's wrong, was that I, when the doctors didn't find anything, I took that at face value and I doubted myself instead. Um, I thought something was wrong with me. Maybe I just was too neurotic or anxious or sensitive. So my first advice, the most important thing is really to trust yourself. Like you are the person in your body. You, it's your body. You know things about it and how it's changed or how it's always been and how it seems different from other people's. And you have every right to be empowered to search for the doctor who's going to listen to you and trust you and help you find those answers. Um, Likewise, you know, self-care, figuring out your triggers, like that is real work. I know there's this sort of discourse around wellness that sometimes likes to be a little like, oh, wellness, snooty, you know, but wellness is the reason we're living through this like huge increase in people's interest in wellness is that people are really trying to solve real problems in their lives, right? With with self-care. And you need to do that work. In my case, there were like food things I realized I couldn't eat. There was like, I just wasn't going to bed early enough. I need to go to bed early. Um, Just stuff like that, you know? And instead I was in this kind of hyper frenetic productive model where I was like, right, I should just be able to do everything (laughs) instead of being like, no, Mm -hmm. I can't. Mm -hmm. So I think just having a really honest reckoning with yourself and then trusting yourself um, and finding those, I thought of them as like medical detectives and allies, you know, the, the, the acupuncturist you love, the nutritionist who really gets you, whatever it is, um, finding those things and really searching until you get the answers you need. Well, I think this has been such an interesting conversation, Megan. Um, we really loved your book. Uh, I mean, and in case that wasn't clear. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a, <laughs> it's you, you tackle such a really intense in depth. Uh, con- I mean, for me, it can be confusing topic, but with, with such humor and accessibility in your writing and it was really, really a, a great read. So I think we recommend it for anybody, not just people who may be dealing with chronic illness. Oh, thank um, you yeah, so much. Yeah, and her book is The Invisible Kingdom. Um, you are so welcome. Yeah, the book is The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness. Um, Megan, where else can people find you if they want to kind of follow along with your work? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, most of all. 
<laughs> though I should probably not be there. Um, I, I do love Twitter. I'm on Twitter and I have a website that has my um, upcoming events. I have a number of upcoming events and I would love to see if you're interested in these questions. If you love someone who has a chronic illness, I'd love to see you there. We're gonna, the events will be very conversation based with a lot of Q&A. So I'm really looking forward to meeting people going through all of this um, and starting a conversation. Yeah. My website is meganorourke.com. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Bo. This was really a wonderful conversation. (laughs) Oh, that was one of those interviews where we had a, we had a hard out because she had to go pick up her kids and we were both like, Oh, we wish we could talk to you for longer. (laughs) Um, Sometimes, you know, sometimes those guest conversations, you just want them to go on and on. But she was well, so you're great. learning. It's so interesting. You know, you're learning so much through the conversation. Yes. That it's so satisfying. You're like, totally. Yes. Never leave me. Yes. I know. And well, I, I really, I wanted to just note for that her book, I think, is a really valuable read especially for people who have not experienced chronic illness firsthand because great point i and myself included in that it was really really um important for me to read it and i'm really glad i did and i don't know if that it's a it's something i would have picked up because i would have been like i don't have chronic illness why would i read this Mm -hmm. but i i think in order for us to cultivate empathy and understanding for the many, many people in the world dealing with chronic illnesses. This is uh, a fantastic read. Yes, I agree. <sighs> well, Kate, you and I both set intentions last week that we did not fulfill. What the heck? You know, we were both so earnest in our intention. And you know what the funniest part is? It's things that we've wanted to do before. It's not even like these are yeah. new Kate and Dory isms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. These are that's like true. old hats. Old. Well, <laughs> you wanted to do, you had done a restorative yoga class. And, and let us say, like when we first started doing Forever 35, every Sunday night, Dory would go to an in-person restorative yoga class. I did. Yeah. It, yeah. it was at six. So it was at 6 p.m. But that was before I had Henry. Right, right. And then and I remember you did some early on at the beginning of the pandemic, possibly you were doing it like some yes, Zoom restorative doing, yoga. Well, I was no, I, well, it wasn't a live class. I was doing some yoga with Adrian mm. um, on YouTube because she has these great like 10, 20 minute um, restorative yoga, like end of day videos. And so I was doing a lot of those, but. But you didn't do one this week, which is fine. Exactly. So that was your intention yeah. to do twenty minutes. That was my intention, and it didn't. And happen. I didn't. Um, but my intention this week is sort of inspired by what we were talking about at the top of the show. You know, I as I said, I'm going away this weekend, and I do just want to like relax and enjoy myself. Mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to take social media off my phone. And, like I'm just, I'm going to just like try to just chill. Okay. I love this for you. I hope you have a great trip. You're going to have so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you have some laughs. I hope you <laughs> feel the energy of Joshua Tree and just uh, taking yeah. all the vibes, taking all the vibes, Dory. There's going to be well, so many vibes. So many vibes. So many healing, holistic energy energy vibes. 
Yeah. I mean, it you you have to be a cliche when you go out to Joshua Tree, kind of sometimes. Oh, right? I mean, hence the caftans. <laughs> That's fair. So, well, I wanted to plan a beautiful Italian recipe to cook, and I didn't do it. And you know what? The most frustrating thing is, I happened to be out of town this weekend. And Julia Tertian and her cooking class is doing like this amazing Italian meal. I'm so mad. I want to do her live cooking class so badly, but I'm I'm not going to be around for it. So I don't know. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep sticking to this. Okay. Haunted by the ghost of my great grandmother as she hovers above <laughs> me in the kitchen. I will. Oh, <laughs> uh, the Sunday I will, supper. I will commit to this. Yeah, and I think like. With my great grandparents, they were just like killing rabbits in their backyards. I don't, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not doing that, but I'll do some sure, sort of supper. Sure. Maybe I'll okay. do it this Sunday. Okay. I'm going to work on it. I'm excited for you. Well, if I ever get my act together, I will invite you guys over for this Sunday supper once I kind of have can't it wait. down. Once I have it down. All right. All right. Well, <sighs> this was great, Kate, as always. Yeah. I mean, look, what fun, what a life we get where we just have to like, we get to talk to each other and it's our job. I know. Like, it's really so fun. Great. It what is. do you do for work? Uh, I talk to my friend three times a week. <laughs> I mean, it's so much more than that, obviously. But you know, that is the that is the that gist. is the fun, the best part. Oh well. Anyway, this podcast, Forever Thirty Five, is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. And Sammy Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. Thanks, everyone. Bye.